You know, when it comes to parenting, it's easy to feel lost. You ever feel like you end up in a place you didn't intend? And like you need a map for that kind of thing? Parenting is like that. It's like this unbelievable traffic jam of expectations and, and feelings and emotions. You know, Beth and I, we decided to adopt five years ago. We got a newborn, and we started all over again with all of the, the chaos of having a small child while at the same time having tweeners and teenagers. Let me give you an example of just like what one day in the life of a parent can be. I come home, I'm exhausted, long day of meetings, long day of projects, and I decide to kick my shoes off. Oh, I just sort of collapse in the couch. My son Quinn was fine a second ago. He throws himself into a hissy fit, screaming, yelling, pounding his hands on the ground. And, and, and he doesn't talk at all. He's got like one percentile in his verbal skills. Like, buddy, use your words. What's wrong? And I'm like, oh, it's not what I want to engage in right now. What's going on? And finally, he grabs my finger and walks over. He grabs my shoe and he puts it up to my foot and he wants my shoe back on. And instantly, all of his fit's gone. We went from like, and then my wife. And my two teenagers are like, it's about time somebody told you to put your shoes back on. That boy's got discernment. He could smell you from a mile away. And they're laughing at me. Well, later that night, we're in bed and we're just you know, exhausted from the day and having these moments you know, that went on. And uh, I wake up and Quinn has come into our room. Apparently he's not feeling well. And in the darkness, I feel giant cobwebs just everywhere. Like, what is this? And now Beth's awake, and we're, what's the cobwebs all over the place? Quinny, what's going on, buddy? You need some medicine? So I'm getting up, and there's cobwebs everywhere. I'm trying to turn the lights on because you have that you know, pupil moment yeah, as a parent. And I realize he has unraveled an entire box of dental floss all over our room. And so we're getting that thing away. Ugh. We get him some medicine. We're like, oh, you know what? You can sleep between us tonight. I just go to sleep. So I'm laying there, and my wife's laying there, and Quinn's laying there. Finally. But when Quinn sleeps, he's like a sundial. Click, 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 Boom! Punches me in the chin. Oh! And then he turns. Cool! His head hits Beth in the stomach. And he turns again. Boom! Now he kicks me in the nose. Oh, my goodness. Now he kicked her in the face. Oh! So I'm like, all right. I'm going to sleep on the very edge of the bed with my hands straight up and down so I could just sleep. And I fall asleep. And next thing I know, he must have gotten awake. He comes up next to me, and he sticks his his mouth up to my armpit and goes. <laughs> and, oh, I wake up. I'm ticklish. So I'm laughing. He is laughing like the most innocent, pure laugh you've ever. Beth wakes up, and she's laughing. And I'm like, boy, that's parenting. I mean, just in one moment of 12 hours a day, it's frustration, it's anger, it's humor, it's laughter. It's no wonder we need a parent map to drive our way through all of the different challenges we have as parents. So what we're going to look at in this series and start today is that parents need to drive differently in order for children to develop successfully. We need to drive differently at different stages in order for children to develop successfully. In order to do that, we need to take four turns. So we're going to highlight each one of these each week, give a little more detail on it, but there's four turns that we need to take and modify and adjust ourselves to as we develop as parents. And if we do that, if we make these turns and these adjustments, we're going to have, know what to do, 
when to do it, and how to put these principles in motion during the challenges of our kids and our parenting um, dilemmas that we have. Let's look at the first turn. The first turn occurs when we move from being a couple. You know, we've been to the chapel. We got married. We used to say we were busy. And then we had kids and we're like, what did I do with all that free time back when I was a couple? I thought we were busy. Now we're busy. But we've got to make a turn, a change. It's a mindset change for me, a couple, uh, to being a caregiver. And a caregiver, this stage, go ahead and go to the next slide. This first turn of this first caregiving stage usually occurs between zero to five. And the primary role we play as parents is that of protection. We protect them from danger. We're not as much teaching, although there's some teaching, but it's more like, don't touch that, it's hot. Why? Well, you can't understand it yet, but it's hot. Danger over there. Be careful over there. Protection is the main role that we play. But as you transition from Coupleton to Babyville, or you're helping your kids as they're getting your first grandkids, to help them understand there's a difference between couplehood and caregiving. What are some of those differences? Listen to a TED Talk recently about Lisa and Rufus were describing some of the myths that they wished they had been explained before making this turn. Elisa said that when she had her first child, she was amazed that in those first couple of years how lonely she felt. She said, I just felt lonely a lot. I mean, I love being a mom. I loved having this child, but I felt lonely. I felt trapped. I felt like I didn't have the freedom I once had. We didn't used to have to schedule babysitters to go out. Now we're having to, and there's a little less money because we're spending here. I felt trapped and lonely. So she called up her sister, who had children a few years before her, and said, hey, is this normal for me to feel lonely and trapped during, during this stage? Am I a bad mom? Am I bad to feel this way? And her sister said, no, that's totally normal. Why didn't anybody tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't mom tell me? To which her sister said, it's just not the kind of thing you tell a new mom. She said, well, I wish somebody had so I could normalize it. 57% of parents, and I've talked to stay-at-home dads feel the same way as we'll stay-at-home moms, 57% report feeling lonely, and 68% report that during years zero to five. I think that's important to understand that I'm making this transition, so I'm going to have to put new patterns in my life to find some time away, new patterns in my life to make sure you're dating as a, as a couple again. In fact, Beth and I have been married 20 years in about two months, and we made a commitment back during this stage, both with Sierra 16 years ago and now with Quinn five years ago, that we had, and I'm not typically... I like being spontaneous, but we made a decision to go on a date night at least twice a month 20 years ago, and that's a pattern we stuck with because it was a transition we had to make. Now, Rufus was talking, and he said one thing that struck him is that everyone told him as a dad, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to instantly feel a Mack truck of love smack you, and you're going to feel things you've never felt before. He said that was sort of true, but I noticed that my feeling as a dad in making this turn was different from my wife's. He said, in fact, I started to chart my feelings of love toward my child on a graph. Now, this is like total heresy, but he said, I noticed that conventional wisdom was at all times you love your child the same. He said, but I noticed my wife, she's had this child in her womb the whole time. When that was born, she had this love connection with him or her that I didn't. Now, I had a strong affection, but honestly, it wasn't until about year two that I had the same kind of connection with the child that my wife did. And now, maybe if you're a guy and you felt this way, you're like, man, that's been mine too. I couldn't say it out loud, but I felt that way. I remember when I was, uh, when Sierra was first going to be born, I had an architect friend who was about two years uh, older, not two years, had kids two years older than me, so they were two now. 
He pulled me aside. He said, Chad, now listen, you can't tell your wife this. He said, but the first six months to nine months, you've got to make it fun. Stay engaged, but really, at, at, at 18 months to two years, it really gets good. The personality's connecting, and you really start feeling like you're fathering. And I w- that was so helpful for me, because I've enjoyed all the stages of parenting. But I've got to say, I saw myself on this piece going, wow, now I'm feeling more like a father. I used to tell Beth, oh, I don't want to hold it yet. It doesn't have a neck. You know, oh, I'm going to break it. You know, I always hold the kids like this because I'm afraid I'm going to break them. So just to normalize, this is a transition, and new skills and new patterns need to be developed. And I think that might be why the Bible describes parenting with these verses I will show you in Proverbs and Ephesians. That it's a process of training. Training. Next slide. It says, we need to train. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That when you move from Coupleton to Babyville, your primary role now is training you're training a child in the way they should go, according to their bent is what that means. You get to know each child, what's the best way to train them, the best way to protect them, the best way to get the best out of them. The other passage says that we are about the training and admonition of the Lord. Well, this takes parents to be involved in this. It's an active process of training. It's engagement. It's understanding. It's strategic thinking about where are they at and how do I help them get the best out of them and how do I set boundaries in place to protect them from danger and how do I set a vision for them of their life. And dads are critical to this. Moms as well, but dads in particular. They did a study and showed that dads have a tendency to every time they pick up kids, we pick them up differently. This time it's grab your back and your leg, and this time it's scoop you up by the armpits, and this time I want to scoop you up in front of me, and this time it's on my back. And they did some studies on how that variety really did some development in the brain, just the the variety of things. And then there's always the wrestle time with dad. You know, my mom always be like, somebody's going to get hurt, and all the guys would be like, not if we're strong enough. You know, later on, we would get hurt. But there's something about that wrestling with dad that's so important. They've done studies to show it's inoculation of fear because you're in these semi-dangerous positions, but then dad pulls you back and protects you. And you learn to be more and more fearless because you get these little inoculations of small doses of fear as a child, and you're learning how to develop that. But these are critical parts. So there's some things you're going to mourn about your schedule, some things you're going to mourn about the changes that occur that we need to prepare our kids and grandkids for. But then there's a way that you can say, hey, though I don't fish as many hours as I used to, I now fish differently. Because now I'm fishing with my kids and I'm training them or training my grandkids. That this can be an active, fun process of development. My son Quinn's got special needs and and he loves swimming. So I probably go in the hot tub with him five nights out of the week. Because he just, nothing better for him than sitting in the hot tub for for half hour to an hour and just playing. And I, I love that time with him. Uh, this year, you know, I've skied at Perfect North. I got a pass with my teenagers, so we go once a week. We've been doing it about four years. It's a way for us to connect. But I started bringing Quinn along this year. And, you know, he's skiing right between me, and, you know, my back is killing me on the way down because I'm holding him between, and he is just hands in the air, sensory needs, yes, the whole way down. And I'm like, oh, my back. Now, it's not like a skiing the day I used to, but it's a different kind of skiing where I'm being to train my kids into the activities we can do together later. It's an involvement. So find ways in these stages for you and your grandkids to say, how do I invite my kids into these things so we can have shared experiences later? But if you don't make that turn, if you think that parenting is the same as being a couple, you're really going to be in trouble. You're not going to prioritize the right way. You're not going to be aiming them the right way, and you're going to miss out on joy. So that's the first turn. 
The second turn is moving from a caregiver to a crossing guard. And the key word here is we move from, from protect to teach. And in the early stages, we're like, hey, protect them from danger. They're not the center of the universe, but they become a primary part of sort of, you know, looking to them and protecting them from things. But now we move to teaching. Now we're telling you why this is important, why this matters. We're trying to develop convictions at this point. Think about like this sign. We're showing boundaries. You know, there, there's, there's a crossing guard up here. And if you think about a crossing guard, one, it's somebody you trust. So you're building a relationship with your kids where they trust you. They're an authority structure, right? It's somebody who has authority. They've got, they've got the official vest, right? They're a crossing guard. But notice also they've laid out certain boundaries. What's right, what's wrong, what's safe, what's unsafe, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous. And that's the role we start playing in this stage of our development is that we start helping our kids understand where these moral boundaries are, why these are moral boundaries, and saying, trust me in this process. Now, if we don't make these adjustments from protect to teach, if we don't turn from caregiver to crossing guard, what happens is we end up with a scenario where instead of us parenting our kids, they start parenting us. Let's watch. You know, what happens is if we don't teach our kids that we're the authority and they're not, they end up thinking they're the authority, and that's where we get narcissism and self-centeredness. We get kids who don't respect authority later in jobs. And so one of the important things we do in this role of crossing guard is three parts. One, we set ourselves up as the authority, not them. Two, it's in the context of relationship. I love you. I care for you. I trust you. And we set out boundaries, what's right, what's wrong. And we, we set those boundaries, and they're going to increase with freedom as they learn the responsibility in the midst of it. So two points here. Number one, it's rules plus relationship. Rules are important. Standards are important plus relationship. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion, but rules with relationship, study after study show, produce the kids with the best self-concept and are most successful later in life. Here's how the Bible says it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And that can happen with rules but no relationship. You've got to do this and I'm the rule, but there's no relationship with dad that provokes kids to wrath. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now this is so key. Bring them up to the standard. This is why in crossing guard mode you set out standards. Here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. We speak kindly to one another. And there's not a double standard like dad's got dad's rules and you've got your rules. You've got to speak kindly, but I can scream at you. You have to handle your anger, but I don't have to handle mine. We bring you up to the standard. This is what's right. We articulate why it's right, why it matters. And then one of the greatest things we do as parents is we admit when we weren't up to the standard. I can't tell you how many times I would go to my kid's room and say, Hey, Sierra, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. What's going on? Well, you know how we talk about speaking kindly today? Yeah, kindly. In a, yeah. Dad didn't speak very kindly today, did I? At dinner. No. Well, I want to ask your forgiveness. So you don't have to be a perfect parent. When you show that there's a standard that you fall short of, and you ask your kids for forgiveness, you're modeling why that's important, why that makes a difference. You bring kids up to the standard, and you say the standard matters. There's freedom up here. There's joy up here. And even I, when I fall short of that, I want to admit it, because I want to find the joy that comes from these standards. But it's, it's rules plus relationship. The second thing we do during this stage is we address beliefs and behaviors. Beliefs and behaviors. When God parents us, here's how God parents us. 
it says all Scripture, the Bible is given by God, and it's profitable. Now, some of you are like, well, I've been around church. It doesn't seem very profitable. It seems like a bunch of rules, no relationship. But God says the standards I've set in place are for your good. God's actually shown you the benefits of why he's told you to do certain things and avoid certain things and why they'll keep some pain out of your life. So all Scripture, as God's parenting you, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's God's goal. If you say, hey, I don't have any parents, I might as well check out for the next four weeks. This is what God wants to do for you. God is parenting you, and he wants you to know his word is profitable. And he's doing two things. He wants you to be complete, which means mature you. That if you will begin to study the Bible and apply it to your life, you will become more mature. And you will become equipped for life. So what God's doing in, in a relationship with you, if you're new to this, is God wants to mature you and equip you for life. And if God is the perfect parents doing that to you, then that's what he'd want us to do with our kids. We are trying to mature them. Sometimes that means allowing them to face consequences and difficulty to mature them. And we're trying to equip them for life, life skills, a vision, a pattern, how to assess a date, how to prepare for your career. These are things that we need to equip our kids with. And God gives four tools to do that. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. Now, what do those mean? Doctrine is teaching a right belief. Reproof is changing a wrong belief. Correction is changing a wrong behavior. Instruction is teaching a right behavior. This is parenting right here. Now, immediately you might say, Chad, I don't believe there's right beliefs and wrong beliefs. Well, let me challenge you on that. If your son or daughter comes to you and says, I hate myself, I want to kill myself, nobody likes me. Would you address that belief? Yeah, now you might not like the word wrong. You might say it's unproductive or it's unhealthy. The Bible would say it's wrong. It's a lie. And if that lie stays embedded in a child, it will just fester into shame and guilt and hopelessness and depression. So one of the roles we play as parents, especially as dads, is we get to speak words of encouragement into our kids. We need to address those wrong beliefs. And here's another one. That's not fair! And what did our parents tell us? Life's not supposed to be fair. What are you doing? You're addressing a belief. At all stages of parenting, you're addressing these lies. Well, it's not a big deal what I'm listening to. Oh, it's not a big deal that I saw that on the Internet. I worked at a methadone um, clinic for the first year of my marriage, and we used to do brain scans of what would happen when you go on cocaine. And literally, the brain scans show that cocaine literally rewires your brain, which is why addicts are so hard to break free. It literally, you've been, you, the, the dopamine has rewired your brain, and you need a harder and harder hit. Well, they've recently done similar studies and shown that pornography does the exact same thing to your brain with the release of dopamine as it does cocaine, which is why you need a bigger and bigger and harder and harder hit, which is one of the major factors destroying marriages today. So I will have those conversations with my kids, not at this stage, when we get to the coaching stage, but whatever it is, at each stage you're addressing beliefs, wrong belief, pornography is not a problem. Actually, it is, and let me tell you why. Let me tell you how the boundaries I put in place to, to deal with my own temptation, son. But let me also give you a right belief, why purity and faithfulness matters. And out of those beliefs come behaviors. And many times we just say, well, do it because Dad said so. That is not helpful. That does not distill values into a child. Now, maybe at the, at the zero to five stage, before they can understand it, more of that. But this, this stage of, of 11 to 17-ish, we're really starting to teach. We're really starting to teach the why. And that takes time. I went to lunch with a guy recently, and he said, 
that he was parenting his, his son and explaining why something was wrong and why that behavior was wrong. And his dad was there. And his dad's like, just tell him because I said so. It works for me. It's like, well, dad, it may work for you, but it didn't work for me listening to it. <laughs> I want my children to know the beliefs and behaviors, why it's wrong and why it matters. And sometimes this takes time. That's why parenting can be exhausting, but that's what training's about. When you say to your kids, don't you disrespect me? I can tell you, I've talked to kids before. Hey, dad got mad or mom got mad because you disrespect him. What, what did you do to disrespect him? Oh. We've got to get specific. When you raise your eyebrows when you talk to me, that communicates disrespect. Oh. When your voice goes up, that's disrespect. And then that's the wrong behavior. But then we say, if you disagree with mom and dad, let me tell you how you disagree. Here's how you disagree. You start off with, Dad, can I talk to you? That shows respect to me as the authority. I will be open to have a conversation. But we give them tools. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to be angry. Here's what you do when you have anger. It's a healthy way. Here's what you don't do. It takes time, but it's so important. You're putting tools into these kids' lives that they're going to use in their marriages and their parenting for generations. It's worth the time investment. Third turn. We turn from caregiver to crossing guard. Now we turn from crossing guard to coach. Now we move into age 12 to 17. Now, if we're still in crossing guard mode, the boundaries don't change, they're always the same, we're going to frustrate our kids because kids are designed to have more and more freedom. But the problem is the kids want more and more freedom without more and more responsibility. So we move from, from sort of cop mode, crossing guard mode, to coach. It's about relationship. Hey, I want to help you. Let's set some goals together. What kind of freedoms do you want? Now, let me as your coach come alongside you and help you get to that place. It's like a student driver. You're sitting in the car with your kids. They've got to trust you. You say, I've been on this road before. Be careful of this turn. There's a relationship really key here as a student driver. But now, as you know, at age 12 to 17, the consequences of mistakes is higher. The financial cost is higher. The danger is higher. The difficulty is higher. And so we've got to really be active as parents during this stage to get into the coaching mode. Now, I've been around some parents that don't start giving more freedom to kids I know this one mom had teenage boys, kid you not, and she was still laying out their clothes every day what they should wear. Her kids were so frustrated, and she'd be like, I'm the boss, I'm the authority around here. You guys don't know how to pick out your own clothes. So those kids stuffed that anger, and about age 21, <clears throat> blew up, I don't want anything to do with you, I'm getting away from all of that, all that nonsense, all that control. Instead of saying, hey, you want freedom, let me help you get the responsibility that goes with that freedom to get to that place. I think that's why in, in Proverbs 1.8 you hear Solomon coaching his son. And just hear the tone of what he says. It's no longer have to, it's let me help you. Hear, my son, the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Th these principles, these truths, this wisdom will be, will be like an ornament, a graceful ornament on your head and chains, like gold chains on your neck. This is good stuff. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. The consequences I'm letting you experience now, just know I'm doing that because you've got to prepare you. There's bigger consequences coming. You've got to learn that lesson now while you're with me. And, and kids are not going to respond well to that most of the time. But you want to keep that relationship and that coaching thing as a center as you're going through this. The second thing you want to do in here, and, and that's why I, I printed this out for you. We made this little picture for the parent map. I'll put it on the screen behind me. Is you want to think about the context here of these stages. So if you look at zero to five caregiver mode, you know, your, your kids have some freedom, but it's primarily, you know, keep them in the backyard. Here's, 
here's what's going to keep you protected. But then as they move to the next stage, they're riding their bike now. There's a little more freedom, but there's still some pretty clear, hey, here's what's safe, here's what's not. I'm the authority. But now we're moving into a stage of their 12 to 17 where they're starting to have more freedom. And we start to talk about, hey, as you get this freedom, there's some big potholes coming up you need to be careful of. There's some swerves in the road you need to be aware of. And the key thing to think about during this stage is to help them have increased speed of liberty as long as they go with certain responsibilities. And many of us, we give way too much liberty without the accompanied responsibility. Kids can you know, curfew whatever they want. They've got technology with full access. We don't even know their passwords. We don't even know what Instagram is. We don't even know what Snapchat is. Don't say that again. Snap. That word. I'm going to try it again. Wow. You know, I told my kids early on, I said, well, I want to give you access to this stuff. First Facebook account, you've got to befriend me. And of course, now none of them use Facebook. Same thing with Twitter. Same thing with uh, their, their phones. I have access. I don't use it very often because they prove themselves to be trustworthy. But they know that the responsibility is I can check in. Now, that earned them the right to have more freedom. And that is so important because later on, as they develop, they want more freedom and you're working with them, but you're trying to give them the tools of responsibility to go with it. And that includes money as well. So, um, and ultimately what we're doing is we're trying to set a vision for them to say, hey, ultimately you want to fly the friendly skies, right? You've got goals to have a house. You've got goals to have a career. You've got goals to have a marriage. You want, to, you want to have all kinds of freedom in your life. I want to help you get there. So I want to help you develop the skills to accomplish what you want, what I want for your life. And then I'm going to change roles. I'm going to be your consultant from that stage on. So let's talk about that. Here's the principle. Increased liberty should be accompanied with increased responsibility. Now, that's going to look different for each family, but that's the principle. Right now, what is your freedoms? Right now, you've got a 35 speed limit. What are responsibilities to go with that? Sierra wanted her own room because she didn't want to share a bathroom with Javen about four years ago. So we moved her downstairs, and we said, but if you're going to have your own room, you've got to start doing your own laundry. Once a week was the thing. When she's going to buy a car, you want a car that's more freedom? You've got to pay for half of it. How am I going to do that? Well, let's help you find some jobs. Let's work in that direction. Now that she's got her own car, she has to pay for all her own gas. How am I going to do that? Well, let's help you find a job. Responsibilities and liberty. Because we're helping her prepare for her launch at 16. She's helping her now at 16 to launch at 20 or whatever the time comes. We're giving her life skills. My son Javen is 14. He's been paying for his Xbox Live for about a year and a half. If you want Xbox Live, that's great. You spend a lot of time playing it. You've got to pay for it. So he can do work. He's got to do 14. I'll talk more about this in two weeks. He's got to do 14 chores a, a week. And part of that, he gets double his, um, his age and allowance. He's got to give 10% for giving because we're training him to give. We've got these little boxes we give. But he also has to give $2 per two weeks or $5 every two weeks uh, to be part of uh, paying off his Xbox Live. And, and he's developing skills about money and responsibility. He says, hey, I want more freedom. Dad, I'd like to get a motorcycle in a year and a half. We're talking about that. All right, let's set that up. What do we need to do? What do we need to learn? What skills do we need? But this is the process that we want to engage our kids in. I talked to a uh, dad recently that went through this process with his kids. And he had his kids increasingly pay percentages of the expenses from the time they were 12 to 18. Like we're doing like with Xbox or their cell phone bill or things like that. Because by the time they launch, you, it's hard to go from 0% to 100%. Which is why most of the people don't want to launch. We'll stay in the basement. It's easier here. I haven't learned how to work up to the place where I I have the confidence to to fly the friendly skies. One father I talked to, I think it was a month ago, he said all the money, he didn't need the kids to pay for the money for him, he had plenty of money. But he took all that money and he put it in a savings account. 
when his kids graduated from college, either college or they got married, he pulled them aside and said, hey, you know all those moments when I pulled you aside and I made you pay that percentage of your income and save, and you're like, oh, I hate that. Do you see how that prepared you for this moment to be ready to be a husband? Yeah. Because guess what? I put it all in a bank account. Here it is, whatever it was, $12,500. His son's like, Jess, thank you. Thank you. I would have spent it all on bubblegum. So you're not doing this because you need the money. You're doing it because you're putting these skills in, in our kids so that they can have the life that they want to have anyway. But it takes time. It takes connection. It takes relationship. All right, the last transition, the last turn, is the turn from coach to consultant. Coach to consultant. And again, it may not be 18. Maybe you know, with the different economic challenges, you might say it's 25. But you need to have a plan. You need to have a goal. You need to be working toward that goal. They, you're moving out. We're going to move into the consultant phase, and you're going to move into these, these freedoms that you want with, with relationships and with marriage, and we want to help you get there. We want you to help fly the friendly skies. Now, the key here is advise that I, as a grandparent, I, as a parent of an adult child, need to really make a turn. I'm no longer the coach. I'm no longer the crossing guard. I'm no longer the protector. I am now a consultant. I advise. Let me give you some advice if you're in the consultant phase or should be in the consultant phase. I was talking to a guy who's in his 50s. He said, every time we go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, every time, I walk in and immediately I go from being the CEO of this large organization to my mom treating me like I'm 15 again. Don't be that person. Now, let me give you some advice on how to do it, how to make that turn. Start your conversations with your adult kids with this phrase. Hey, can I share my opinion? Can I share my opinion with you? That shows respect. You're your own person now. You don't have to listen to me, but can I show, share my opinion? That's just such a healthy way to set boundaries. And if you're on the other side, you can say, hey, Mom, Dad, I value. I want your opinion. I may or may not you know, take your advice, but I would like it. Are you initiating that with some healthy boundaries that will set up this new relationship you have as consultants rather than getting trapped back into your family of origin? Now, there's a key verse here in Genesis that says that God's desire is that all of us, a man, would leave his father and mother. That there would come a time in your life that you would transition and begin to provide for yourself financially. There would come a time when you provide for yourself emotionally. You no longer you know, need mom and dad to shore you up. You still need their love and affection, but the relationship's changed. So part of what you're doing with adult kids, too, is saying, hey, your goal ultimately, you've got some goals. Let's set some of those together. Let's set some, some, some responsibilities to get to that place. I want to help you achieve that. Now, let me show you the challenge in that. I'm going to show you this graph. The challenge of that is that there's four separate studies have been done. This one is from Stumbling Upon Happiness, a book, that shows that average happiness during parenthood is a challenge. Up here in the far left is the average happiness when you're married without kids. Oh, doesn't that look good up there? And then you enter into this child rearing, it's like... During the childbearing, and then it's like, oh, it's hard to raise kids. And about five, you get a window of like, oh, you know what? You're moving, oh, this is, this is, you start to have a little plateau, and then there's those teenage years, and look at that dive bomb. Now, part of that's because there's no relationship, part of that because there's no plan, and part of that is because it's hard. It's hard to train. It's hard to do this. This is not easy. And I'll tell you where most affairs occur. Most affairs occur between here and here, 
Because you're saying, well, we shouldn't have got married. Or this wasn't right for me. I guess I got the wrong person. We've grown apart. And here's what I want to tell you. You end up marrying somebody else to try and start over there. If you will push through, if you will stay committed during this stage, if you'll stay committed to your marriage, to God, if you will push through this season, look, the best years are still ahead. The best years are still ahead. In fact, the longest and best times you will be with your son and daughter is from 20 to 70 until you die. It's not too late. If you miss these stages, start over. Call up your kids this week and say, hey, I know I made a lot of mistakes. Can I apologize? You're going to put healing into their life. Two, hey, could we start over? I want to respect your boundaries, but, but could we connect can we talk? Can we go to lunch? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's starting off with just a lunch once a year or once a month, a phone call. But the best times and the longest period of time you have to parent is in this stage. Now, if you're not at that stage, prepare for it. If you're in that stage, you made some mistakes, apologize for it. Forgiveness is so powerful. Grace is so powerful. Don't miss the longest time you have to befriend and be in a relationship with your kids. And they also find that those who are in struggles in their marriage here, when they do research from here to the, to the empty nest phase, the empty nest phase of marriage, research shows that those who push through these challenging phases, happiness is higher, sex life is higher, financially is higher, all the indicators are better on the other half of second, of, of, uh, second half of marriage if you'll go through the difficult season in between. So don't give up. It's worth the effort. It's worth the challenge by pushing through in the midst of that. So four turns. And parents must drive differently for our kids to develop successfully. So which turn are you at? Or which turn are you missing? Or which turn did did you go, oh, I didn't even think to do that? Which turn? Which turn are you at with God? Maybe God's saying to you, hey, I'm trying to work with you. I've been in protection mode. Now I want to guide you. I'm letting you experience some consequences. And you think I'm mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm trying to develop you and help you. God wants to be in a long-term relationship with you. Let me give you some questions on this next slide. Which turn am I approaching as a parent? Which turn have I missed? And I need to go back and go, whoa, I missed that turn. I need to re-engage. And we're going to start the coaching phase at age 18 instead of 12. But we're going to start it. Wow, I missed the transition to consult. I've been trying to control my kids and tell them what to do. And I can't do that anymore. I've got to respect that they're their own person. I need to use that, what's that phrase again? Can I share my opinion? I don't want. They might say no. That's right. They might say no. Which turn do I need to apologize for missing? And what turn am I approaching as a child of God? The seasons with our kids go so fast. This week I signed Quinn up for kindergarten. It was yesterday I signed Javen up for kindergarten. I'm talking to my daughter about college, and it will be tomorrow, and I'll be talking about college for Javen and then Quinn. It's not easy to be a parent, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. So don't miss the moments in the midst of the chaos of driving around as a parent. Don't miss the seasons and stages to connect with your kids and push through the difficult times. This next song talks about that feeling. So as I invite the band to come up, I want you to hear the story behind this song because it resonated with me as a dad of what it means for us to make these turns and engage with our family. Let's watch. 
Well, I um, one night, giving a bath to my two little girls, Stevie Joy and Maria Sue, uh, three and four-year-old at the time. Now they're both four-year-old. But uh, it was one of those moments when it's late, it's, you know, bath time or bedtime is supposed to be, 7.30, 8 o'clock, and it's already 8.30, and, you know, I'm trying to get them to hurry up and get a quick bath and stick them in the tub, and every time I turn around to get the soap or a towel, they jump out of the tub, and they go put on a Cinderella or a, you know, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty gown, and they come in, you know, all, you know, just uh, ready for the ball. You know, Dad, I'm going to the ball, and I'm like, no, you're going to the tub, and I stick them back in the tub, and I'm frustrated, and I'm tired, and and I'm, I'm trying to write songs, and I'm, I'm trying to get them to bed so I can go back to work and go back to writing songs. And finally, I get them out of, the, you know, get them done with their bath, and I'm irritated with them because they're not, you know, they're not doing what I'm asking them to do. And finally, get them in bed. I'm like, that's it. Tonight, we're just praying quick prayers, you know, and don't, you know, we're not gonna pray about the, you know, the children in Africa or any of that stuff. Just keep it to the short and sweet, you know, immediate family only. You know, so it's like, put them to bed. I love you. Good night. No more drinks of water, nothing. Doors closed. Good night. Lights out. And I close the door, and immediately, like as soon as I get out of the door, I'm just kind of take a deep breath, and I just immediately think of my daughter, Emily, um, who's 21 now. And I'm thinking, you know, I remember a time, a long time ago, when I used to do bath time with her and read a story. And you know what? Those moments went by so quickly. And I don't want to miss these moments, man. Don't don't miss these little moments that you get to treasure with these girls because they're going to be gone before you know it. These little Cinderellas are going to grow up. The clock's going to strike midnight, and they're going to be gone. And I thought, man, i got to write a song. i got to remember this. So I wrote this song uh, to help me remember, and maybe it will help somebody else out there remember to not miss these really special moments that God's given us. This is Cinderella. You know, for many of us, we don't have the relationship that we want with our kids right now, or we miss some of those moments. And I want you to know, here's just some grace from God. God was the one perfect parent, and all his kids rebelled. All his kids rebelled. And yet the story of the Bible is how he pursued and worked with and pleaded with and came around next to. It's never too late. As I mentioned last week at the end of the service, God can restore for the years of locusts of Eden. One of the reasons we made this tool up, this tool for you, is so you can have this conversation with your kids. We started this a couple weeks ago. I said, you know the thing that Dad's been doing the last couple of years? This sort of is a way I can talk about it in picture. And so I showed it to him. I said, here's where we're at. And we talked about the airplane. What are some goals you guys have? We talked about some of those goals. And if you want to have a career one day, well, then there's some skills you need to own. And this was so helpful because often in adolescence, it's, it's us trying to hold back freedom and them wanting freedom. And this has been a tool of discussion we've used to talk about what speed limit are we at? What are some expectations we have to help you? What's sort of the next stage? So if this can be a help for you just as a tool to talk about where you're at and where you're headed, it's been a great tool for us and our family. But here's what I want you to know. It takes wisdom. It is hard. And God is the one perfect parent who can work with dysfunctional people in dysfunctional situations just like mine and just like yours. So I want to give you a moment as we finish up today just to ask God for wisdom Maybe ask him to be your parent, and as you learn to be parented by him, you can take those things and parent your kids as well, whatever stage they're at. Let's pray. Father, 
we ask for a reminder through that song to not miss whatever stage we're at now. Whether regrets of what happened before, whether it's mistakes were made before, help us to engage right now with the kids and grandkids we have. Maybe you want to say to God, just in a sentence or two, just say, God, I need wisdom for. Maybe say, God, I need help with, and tell him what you need help with. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for working with broken people like me. And thank you for working in broken people like me and through my family. God, I ask that we will continue to just see you as the source, as the one who wraps your arms around us when we're hurting, and a perfect father we can model ourselves after. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you all next week as we continue in the parent map and get some more details as well. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.